0: Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach the Word of God today, but I'm also a little bummed because usually I get to go back with the kids and hear them practice singing the new song they're learning, Christ Arose, which we're going to sing next week. And, man, they do such a good, so- such a good job and such a great uh, song um, so if you get our emails with our song list out there, I encourage you to listen to that song and, and uh, practice it. We'll be singing it next week. Beautiful song. All right, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. Let me read it for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, That is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us real quick before we begin. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and the opportunity to study it together, to hear from it, may you use it to penetrate our hearts and to change us to become more like Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Well, I want to share a story with you told by someone named Paul Lee Tan, and he tells a story of a pastor whose name was A.J. Gordon. He's a pastor in the Church of boston a um, long time ago and he, he met a young boy in front of his sanctuary carrying a he was carrying a rusty cage in which several birds fluttered nervously and gordon asked the boy son where did you get those birds and the boy replied i trapped them out in the field i don't know how you do that but that's very impressive You trapped the birds out in the field what are you going to do with them the pastor asked he said i'm going to play with them and then i guess i'll just feed them to an old cat we have at home when gordon offered to buy them the boy explained mister you don't want them they're just little old wild birds they can't sing very well and gordon replied i'll give you two dollars for the cage and the birds okay it's a deal but you're making a bad bargain said the boy the exchange was made and the boy went away whistling happy with his shiny coins Gordon walked around to the back of the church property, opened the door of the small wire, wire coop, and let the struggling creature soar out into the blue. I wanted to share that story with you because I thought it was a good picture of this idea of redemption that we're going to be talking about today. Um, put simply, redemption means releasing something or someone through payment. And I'll be giving a, a more thorough Definition in just a bit but we're in our we're in the third part of our easter series uh, dealing with the work of christ on the cross and what his death on the cross accomplished for us first we looked at justification when we placed our faith in jesus we are we are declared righteous in the sight of god that's justification And then last week, we looked at reconciliation. In Christ, our once broken relationship with God is restored to a relationship of peace. Okay, that's reconciliation. Today, we are looking at redemption. Here's a definition I have to give you. Redemption, the price has been paid on the cross for our release from our bondage to sin. Christ on the cross paid the price for our sin that we could not pay. We aren't bound by sin any longer. And as those redeemed by Jesus purchased through his blood, we are called to live according to his purposes for us. And that's what we'll look at in our passage this morning. So in our letter, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. He's writing to believers, those those who have trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He calls them Saints in Ephesus, the holy ones in Ephesus. That's how he refers to Christians. The first two verses, verses 1 and 2, are his traditional greeting that he starts the letter with. Now if you're familiar with Paul, you would expect him next to go into uh, a few sentences about how he is thankful for what God has done in the church. But he switches things around here. Paul is so eager to remind the Ephesians of the many, many blessings the Lord has given them that he writes the longest sentence in the New Testament. Verses 3 to 14, 202 words in the Greek, clause upon clause upon clause, prepositions galore. If this sentence was a movie, it would be the Lord of the Rings extended edition, all 12 hours. I hear, I hear some amens. Some people have watched that. Okay. Good for you guys. For our purposes, we will have to cut Paul off halfway through while he's taking a deep breath. All right, let's begin in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Paul begins the sentence with the traditional, Jewish blessing of God. Blessed be God. And here he specifies, blessed be God the Father. Bless God the Father. Give him praise. Give him honor and appreciation and bless him with your praise. If you're ever wondering, how in the world are we supposed to bless God? Well, you can praise him. But why praise him? Because he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. The word bless. Occurs over and over again in this verse. It's used of us blessing God, and it's used of God blessing us. All three words come from the same word in the Greek: eulogetos, eulogesos, and eulogia. Blessed, blessed, and blessing. And yet, even though the same word is used every time, it's quite obvious to us. You don't need the, the Greek know the Greek to see this that. Our blessing for God does not quite compare to His blessing for us. We give Him praise as a response to everything He has done. He gives us every spiritual blessing as a part of His plan. Our praise is responsive to His blessing. Now, the blessings are for the Christian, they are for those in Christ. You only receive these blessings by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you are not in Christ, then these blessings are not yours. If you are in Christ, then these blessings have been given to you, and you are benefiting from them even now. And some of you might say, wait a minute, are you sure? Every spiritual blessing? It doesn't quite feel like I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Maybe I only got some of them, and other people got all of them. Listen, I'm, uh, I'm just reading the text to you. This is what the text says, that you have, if you have believed in the gospel, been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Paul's writing to Christians in Ephesus, and he's telling them about the spiritual blessings they've been given in Christ. So that means that everyone who knows Jesus is given these blessings. That's true for the Ephesians 2,000 years ago, and it's true for you and I today. So what are these blessings? That's what Paul spends the rest of this passage explaining. Although we won't get through the whole thing, it's worth reading for yourself. What, can we know from, what we can know from this verse is that these blessings are from the heavenly realm, meaning they are not temporal, they are not earthly. They are spiritual, giving the believer everything that the believer needs. Alright, let's take a look at these benefits that God has given us. The things we have access to. The blessings that are ours. Verses 4 and 5. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now, if you're paying attention to the language in these verses, you can clearly see there's an emphasis on God's sovereign action throughout history and even beyond. He chose us in him. He predestined us for adoption according to the purpose of his will. Chose, predestined, purpose, will. Now when we see this language, uh, chose and predestined, we tend to get caught up in arguments about predestination and free will or those who have been predestined and those who have not been predestined, such things like that. But when we do that, there's a time for that, but when we focus on that, we tend to lose focus on this wonderful idea that God intentionally chose you. The blessing of God in our lives clearly has to do with his deliberate action of incorporating us in his plans. He has intentional plans, and you are a part of them. In scripture, God is not pictured as impulsive or as whimsical. He knows exactly what he is doing. Um, when I was in high school, I remember my friends and I at lunch, you would get a high school lunch, which wasn't great. It was Domino's Pizza, and somehow it, the pizza was worse there than if you just went to Domino's and get it. I don't understand it. But that's Domino's Pizza. And then you get a, a little, you have an option for a drink. I always get. A little carton of milk, I think it was eight ounces. One of the ones that was just very difficult to open. Well, it was, uh, what we would do in our lunchtime, me and my friends, is we would see who could chug their eight-ounce milk carton the fastest. And it was stupid, but it was the kind of stupid stuff you do in high school. It's what you, it's what you do. And I was, uh, I was pretty good at it. And my, eventually my friends stopped challenging me because I was one. And instead, they would just decide to be more fun to, uh, to time me. And so at lunch, I would grab my milk carton and chug it as fast as I could. One day, though, my friend uh, had his watch ready to time me, and I opened the carton, and I chugged the milk as fast as I could. And then I immediately spit out the milk as fast as I could, because the milk had gone bad. It was disgusting, and I never did it again. That was a dumb mistake. You and I make these kinds of silly mistakes all the time, don't we? We are forgetful. We make plans that go wrong. We don't account for unexpected interruptions. We are impulsive. We are quick to anger. We are we're clumsy. God is nothing like that. He is deliberate. He is intentional. His plans were made a long time ago. It says, before the foundation of the world. And his plans never fail. And you are a part of his plans. He chose you and he chose me for his purposes. And we have been his plans for a long time. One of those purposes is that we might be holy and blameless before him. You guys have heard these words a lot. You're familiar with the idea of holiness. Holiness, to be holy, just means to be separate and distinct God is holy from his creation, from other uh, supposed gods. He expects his people to be holy as well. That is to be distinct from the world around us. Different because we follow Christ and obey his commands. And also we will be blameless That means without blemish, okay? Being blameless. it's a word often associated with uh, sacrificial animals in the Old Testament given to God. They are to be without blemish. Um, Christ is described as the sacrificial lamb presented to God without blemish, without sin. So we too, one day, will be presented to God as the church in the future, holy and completely freed from the blemish of sin because of Christ. And until then, we are to seek to be holy and blameless in our lives as followers of Christ. So Christ has chosen us to be one day holy and blameless. He's he's chosen you for that purpose. He's also chosen us for adoption. Meaning as believers, we receive the status, privilege, and inheritance that was not ours becomes ours through faith in the gospel. That come, it comes with being a child of God. It says sons here, but of course both men and women who believe the gospel would have been adopted into the family of God because of the work of Christ on the cross. As children of God, we get the full benefits of being a child of God, including every spiritual blessing, and that's for eternity. So we have been chosen for, to be holy and blameless, and we have been chosen for adoption as Children of God. And verse 6 tells us, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Once again, we see the purpose of the Lord's blessing is praise for what he has done. He chose us, making us holy and blameless, adopting us as true heirs so that he might be praised for his grace that he has shown towards us. That is, he might be praised for his unmerited favor which he freely gives to each of us because of his beloved son, Jesus. Just as we are in Jesus the Son, we are sons and daughters of God the Father, and we are given free, unmerited grace because of him. And We praise the Lord for that. And Paul continues on to our main theme this morning, to our redemption. And he lavishes us with redemption, verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. All right, so we have, we have redemption is in Christ. What is redemption? If you, were to look up, if you were to look up redemption in a Bible dictionary, you would read something to the extent of release by payment or freed by ransom. And I've given us a definition to work with. Again, it's, Redemption, the price has been paid on the cross for our release from our bondage to sin. The price has been paid on the cross for our release from our bondage to sin. All right, and in the Bible, the idea of redemption uh, is everywhere, uh, but we see, a clear, we see it clearly in the book of Leviticus. Uh, Leviticus 25 gives us the idea, this idea of redemption, all right? So there, there's this idea If in ancient Israel... If if a man loses everything and becomes extremely poor, uh, instead of wandering around in the wilderness homeless, he can sell himself to a wealthier man as an indentured servant. He would have a contract for a maximum of seven years. Um, And so it's a way for the man to gain some wealth, to have work, to have food, to have have a home uh, instead of a worse fate. Well, the man's fam- family or a friend, or even the man himself, if he somehow becomes wealthy, he can redeem himself from that servitude. He can pay the price based on how many years are left on his contract. And he can free himself from the servitude by paying the right price. That's what redemption is. To put it in a more modern context, if, if someone were, if you were given a fine, Right? If you were, had to pay a lot of fines and couldn't pay them and uh, maybe you had to face some time in prison for not paying that fine, but someone else could redeem you from prison by paying the fine that you owe, um, that person would be redeeming you. And so Christ redeemed us from the bondage of sin by paying the price of sin on the cross. All right? That's how he redeemed us. If we look at the text we have here, we have redemption in him, meaning only those who know Jesus have been redeemed. We have redemption through his blood, meaning that it was his death that acted as the payment needed to redeem us. And we have redemption according to the riches of his grace, meaning that this was something that God chose to do for us because he decided to do it, not because uh, we had earned it. The Lord's redemption offered to us is by his unmerited favor, not because we deserve it. And as far as I can see in Scripture, we were redeemed from sin. uh, I like to put it in three, three ways. The first way we see right here, it says we were redeemed for the forgiveness of trespasses. The debt, the punishment, the judgment of our sins that we deserve has been paid. Jesus paid it by his blood, which just, just means he paid it by his death on the cross. So the judgment we deserve has been paid, and our debt has been paid by Christ on the cross. That's the, that's the first way we have been redeemed from sin. The second way is that we have been redeemed from the futility of a life of sin. 1 Peter one 18 through 18-19 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. All right, And the word for ransomed here is just another form of the word we use for redeemed. Um, so it's saying the same thing. We were redeemed from the futility of your flesh from the futility of living a life to sin. The price was paid so that you could be set free from living a life that is dedicated to sin and can instead live a life that is dedicated to the Lord. That's the second way in which you have been redeemed from sin. Now, the third way is that we will be redeemed ultimately from sin in the future. Later on in his his letter, Paul says in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And the day, the day of redemption is this idea of scripture that we see this future day when we will be set free from sin and all of its consequences forever when Christ returns. That means we'll be glorified. We will never again sin against God. We will never again experience sin from others. Our bodies will be made new and we will not know the, the physical consequences of sin in the world we will be freed in the day of redemption from all defects uh, spiritual and physical okay so you can see why paul ends the passage or our passage why he why he says it in the way he does in verse 8 this thing which he lavished upon us i mean isn't that true god has lavished his redemptive grace upon us He has indeed blessed us with every spiritual blessing we could need, and we're not even done with the entire sentence yet. God has given us his redemption and freed us from sin in every way possible. He has truly treated us and is treating us and will treat us like his children, adopted into his family through Christ, giving us the full inheritance of his grace. He has lavished us with his redemptive grace. And so the idea I want to leave us with today is this idea here. Until the day of redemption comes, let us seek to live as the redeemed of the Lord, as those who have been purchased at a high cost, no longer enslaved to the power of sin, but blessed with every spiritual blessing. Let me read that again. Until the day of redemption comes, let us seek to live a life Let's seek to live, excuse me, as the redeemed of the Lord, as those who have been purchased at a high cost, no longer enslaved to the power of sin, but blessed with every spiritual blessing. We have been redeemed for a purpose. God did not redeem us so that we can go on and continue to live in the power of sin. He redeemed us so that we might know freedom from it. And so we could be free to live a life glorifying his name. So let us bless the name of the Lord, not only in song and praise today, but also in how we live, obeying his word, making disciples, serving the weak and the poor, repenting from sin, encouraging the church and fellow believers. Let us take that title on, we are the redeemed of the Lord, and live as, as those who are redeemed, holy and distinct from the world of sin that is around us and that is my encouragement and my exhortation to you today let me pray for us our father in heaven we thank you for your word God we thank you for your redemption we thank you for Christ who paid the price of sin on the cross so that we would not have to pay it Lord he took on your righteous judgment towards sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. God, we are so thankful for his substitutionary atonement. We are so thankful for his uh, redeeming us from the power of sin, Lord. Not only so that we can know your forgiveness from sin, but also so that we could be freed from the power of sin, so that we could live a life, Lord, dedicated to you, dedicated, instead of being dedicated to sin, Lord, a life that could be dedicated to you, a life that is distinct from the world around us, even though we are to engage in the world around us. We are to live differently as those who have been purchased by Christ, as those who follow him, as those who live by his word and not by bread alone. So God, we thank you for Christ, and his redemption of us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.